part of the emphasis of this entire series of Place in the Family, that the gospel permeates every part of the, of the life of a believer. Um, the gospel circles throughout all of Scripture. It circles throughout all of history, this idea of, of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You just see this cycle over and over. And you see it true in your own life. Every opportunity you get to say something about God's redeeming love in the face of our abject rebellion and hatred of Him. We don't think of ourselves as hating God, but when we are born into sin, we're born walking away from Him. We hate the things of God. We try to, we say, oh no, I love God. That's why I do this, this, and this. No, until we look at the cross and, and accept Jesus and accept his payment on the cross as, as, or his suffering on the cross, his sacrifice, his payment for our sins. And, and, and when we do that, we also, we, we repent and say, oh God, I'm sorry for my sin. Until we do that, we're, we're called in Scripture enemies of God. And if that makes no sense to you now, believe Jesus and it will make sense to you down the road. And we heard that over and over and over this morning. And the last word of the gospel is, you're beautiful. <laughs> we'll be standing there and then falling on our faces as the bridegroom awaits his bride, as was sung about so beautifully this morning. Thank you, Lee. That took a lot of courage to go up there and stay up there, you know? It's one thing to go, but to go and to stay, that's another thing. And Caitlin last week, I meant to say how beautiful a job Caitlin Colbert did last week. She's very shy right now. First time I've ever seen her shy in my entire life. Or her entire life, I should say. Um, but what a beautiful job she did last week as well. We're just blessed. We are blessed. You know, when I am uh, conducting pre-marriage counseling, I love to do that. I love to talk with young couples that are planning on getting married. Now, I often use a book that has a questionnaire up front, and each member, each person of the couple has to answer these questions. And a lot of times it reveals, oh, wait a minute, we hadn't really thought about that. You know what it's like when you're in love and you're going to get married and you start talking about things, but then there are a lot of things that you just miss if you're not careful. But it asks the big questions like, uh, how do you feel about uh, what is your conviction regarding debt and the use of credit cards? What expectations do you have for celebrating birthdays and holidays? You know, how are we going to go to the, these parents here and those parents there? That type of thing. What, just all those kinds of questions. One of the interesting uh, questions, but a very important one, is this. How do you like to be cared for when you're sick? It, it seems kind of funny, doesn't it? And yet it reveals so much about us. I, I'm not sure that I have ever talked to a couple that said, yeah, we're exactly alike. We've already talked about that. It just seems like, you know, one wants to be cared for 24-7 right there. Oh, my darling, what can I do for you? Sweet, dear Honey of mine, how can I? And the other one do, does not want to be bothered unless you need water, juice, tissues, barf bag, whatever it is. You know. Th- then come in, but otherwise stay clear. I just don't want you right there. I need to do this alone. Again, it's just interesting how seldom couples are exactly alike on that. And... uh and, and it's, it comes as a shock early in marriage when you get upset with one another about, you know, the way you're cared for or not cared for. Um, the fact is, we tend to treat other people the ways that we like to be treated. We just do that anyway in all of life. Far better that we try to determine how the other person, just ask the other person, how do you want me to care for you when you are in need, when you've got physical ailments, how do you want me to care for you? Um, it's way better to do that and, and, and not the way that you think that everybody ought to be. By golly, everybody ought to be like this, you know. That's the way I like it, and that's the way you're going to like it too. 
regardless of personalities, there are general principles of care that we should all follow. As believers in the family of God, we are called to follow certain principles when we're caring for other people. It's that spirit with which the Apostle Paul wrote the words that we're going to read this morning uh, in Galatians to the churches of Galatia uh, regarding the care of the family in need. These words are very much in keeping with the theme of the series, A Place in the Family. Last week's message was titled, A Gospel-Saturated Family. This week, it's titled, The Gospel in Action. It could have been titled, The Gospel-Saturated Family in Action. When I was young, I used to think, how in the world am I going to fill up enough time speaking about these 10 verses in Scripture? I mean, how do you do that? Now I just say the gospel in action, part one. (laughs) Um, So, our text this morning is Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Look for the following gospel themes in this text. Spiritual growth, humility, discipleship, church discipline, Holy Spirit dependence, fleshly decisions, sacrificial service, arrogance, deception, faith, responsibility, stewardship, generosity, outreach, sowing and reaping, perseverance, blessing and consequences, and covenant community priority, just to name a few. Let's stand and read Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father, Thank you for putting us in this household of faith. Thank you for giving us the faith to believe that Jesus took care of our big, insurmountable problem. Uh, He took care of it. Thank you for putting us in this family. Thank you for calling us to care for one another, for meeting our needs and having the privilege of meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. May your word come alive in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. The book of Galatians is about the purity of the gospel. Um, There's a couple who came into our church the first Sunday we were preaching Galatians. And they came from a, a, a more formal background and they've said time and again, That was such a good time for us to be there because we thought the way that you get to heaven is to just do good things and make sure you pay attention to the law and do the best that you can. And and though nobody would say this, what we also mean when when we're living like that is that you compare yourself and make sure you're doing better than the other guys. So we didn't know that salvation was by grace alone and All my life I'd been searching and Jesus was the thing. And I saw him in his word. That's a beautiful thing. And that's what Galatians is about. It's about the purity of the gospel. Paul had been in this region, which is modern day Turkey, during his first missionary journey. And both Jews and Gentiles alike put their faith in Jesus alone for salvation. But after Paul left, some Judaizers or Jewish legalists came in and they said, you know what? 
It's all well and good that you believe in Jesus. That's a good thing. But it's not enough. God gave the law to his people, Israel. And you have been brought in under that umbrella of Israel. And Israel keeps the law. You got to keep the law. Jesus paid for part of your salvation, but not all of it. So this is only just a year or two after Paul had been there. And all of this starts going down and people are now saying, well, maybe Jesus isn't enough. See, that's a question that we're going to be asking in Hebrews. Is Jesus enough? When we get to that this fall. And, and they're saying, maybe Jesus isn't enough. I better get busy about keeping the law so that I can be sure to be saved. Now, this will not shock you, but Paul was not happy about this turn in the people's thinking. Because he knew that if you place your hope in anything for salvation other than Jesus, you can't be saved. Good works follow salvation. It's not a problem. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. It's a big difference. And so Paul is saying, no! If you go back to your works, if you're you're trusting in your works, you've fallen away from grace. That doesn't mean that they were saved and then they fell away in a sense from grace. No, he's saying, no, it's all about grace. And if you are... In the Lord, you're going to hang right there. And your hope and your trust and everything is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Galatians is about, the purity of the gospel. And, And if one belongs to Jesus, he will fulfill the law of Christ. We saw that phrase and we're going to look at it again in just a moment. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a desire that to, to please the Lord from a, that comes from a grateful heart. It's not a desire to please the Lord so he'll accept us. And so he'll be okay with us and let us get into heaven achieving salvation through that. The legalists were acting as if the gospel covers salvation and the Christian is responsible for everything else. Now look, if you, you know... I, I don't expect a lot of you to have seen it, but I just tweeted out the other day. The, the, the warning, the, the, the passages about eternal security in Scripture are meant to comfort those who are troubled. <clears throat> it seems to me the people who doubt their salvation are the ones who are really, they want to love the Lord. They're sensitive to their sin. And, <clears throat> and those, those uh, assurances are given, don't worry, you're in my hand and, and, and my Father's hand as well. And I'm giving you the non-refundable guarantee of the Holy Spirit. So those, those passages about security are there to comfort the troubled. But the warning passages are there to trouble the comfortable. Don't take this lightly. This is your life. Your life is wrapped up in Jesus or it's not. And the gospel permeates everything. The believer lives according to the gospel every day when all hope is in Jesus. When we preach the gospel to ourselves, which we should, we will recognize the priority of the spiritual over the material. You remember last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where we read... The body may be wasting away. The outer man may be wasting away. But the inner man is being renewed day by day. In Galatians 5, Paul distinguished the works of the flesh from the works of the Holy Spirit in our lives and pointed to a spirit-filled godliness by saying that the believer who walks with Jesus has crucified the deeds of the flesh, walking in the spirit. On that basis, he wrote these words. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too may be tempted. Now, so much is either stated or implied in these two little verses that make up verse 1. 
While it's true that one cannot be declared to be a believer if he's dependent on his good works for salvation, it is also true, as we see here, that it's very possible for the true believer to fall into sin. Now, that may sound like an excuse, like, oh, well, hey, it's no big deal. You fall into sin. You're still covered by grace. Not at all. I mean, in fact, when Paul listed the sins of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, he, he mentioned the biggies like sexual immorality and, and, and idolatry, but he also talked about fits of anger and jealousy. And, and he says, don't you know? That those, I warn you, this is, here again, this is that warning, sense of warning. I warn you as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this may sound like a works-oriented approach to salvation. You better watch your step because you won't go to heaven if you commit this sin or that sin. But more in keeping with what Paul has said throughout the entire book about our only hope is in Jesus would be the sense of him saying, why in the world do you act like this? This is the way unbelievers act. You've been redeemed. You're, this is not who you are. You're a saint. That's what he called the people of Corinth. Call them saints. My goodness, those were some messed up people. And he said, you're saints. And he did the same thing with them. Why do you act like this? It's not becoming of one who has Jesus as his Savior, as her Savior. You will live as if you belong to Jesus. When you yield to the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is so prominent in your life that there's no place for the works of the flesh. Now, look, Paul said back earlier in Galatians 5, This I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh wars against the Spirit and the Spirit wars against the flesh so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, there's this constant battle going on all the time. And when you're walking in the flesh and you're doing things, if, if, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're going to hate it. You're going to say, oh, this is what I want to be over here and find myself in this place. <laughs> and if you're over here walking and you're following the Lord, you're going to say, wow. That's pretty appealing over there. I'm going to focus on the Lord. There's always this battle that goes on in the heart and the mind of a believer. And it doesn't get easier as you get older. People think, oh, it just gets easier. And, you know, you, and truly, you walk in a particular direction and that you are what you have been becoming and all that existential stuff, you know. I, I get that. I understand the sentiment there. It's true. But it does not get easier. It will get easier on the day that we stand before Jesus. And it's done. And that's the gospel. Some of you would be able to quote Galatians. You might quote Galatians too. but (laughs) Galatians 2.20 by heart. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Everything goes back to the cross. How do we deal with our sins as believers? The same way we did coming to Christ, we go to the cross. Not that it has to be over and over and over. That's why... You know, Scripture tells us we don't crucify Christ again and again. It was once for all. But when you have sinned as a believer and you say, I can understand doing that before I knew Jesus, but look at me now. Go to the cross. He died for that sin just as much as he did for the ones that you committed before you were saved. That's the gospel. So when Paul indicates the possibility of sin overtaking a believer... He tells the leaders of the church to not put up with that mess, but to put that man or woman out of the church right now. Well, no, that's not what he says at all. The goal is always, always restoration 
bring this wayward one back into the fold. He instructs those who are spiritual to to be the ones who bring back the one who is sin. We can assume that that Paul established, when Paul established churches, that he gave them all of the instructions that he gives to the churches throughout his letters. We think of, oh, well, it's interesting that the Galatians had that issue and that the Philippians had this issue because now we get a big picture. Well, Paul gave the whole picture to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians when he was there. But he, he dealt with in his letters the areas that were areas of concern or issues that they were facing. So we can assume that Paul had already instructed these people in Galatians about the importance of church discipline, even though he didn't mention it directly in verse 1. In this short verse, Paul was urging the spiritual leaders of the church to go and bring the sinner back, calling him or her to repentance and submission to the Holy Spirit. He cautioned the ones who were doing the calling back to be careful and to do what they did in a spirit of humility, recognizing the frailty of all who have not been yet perfected in Christ, which is pretty much everyone who's alive. At least Fennerty is perfected. Linda Talley is perfected. Albert McKinney is perfected. So many more that you have lost who knew Jesus have been perfected now, but that's not us. And if the leaders of this church have to call someone back, we are to do it very carefully. In fact, Paul says it's more like putting an arm around a brother and saying, come on back, rather than wagging a, f- a finger in his face. How many times have you gotten like that about somebody else's sin? And then before you know it, you've done the same thing. Maybe it has to be pointed out to you that you've done the same thing. It just looked a little different, but it's essentially the root of the same sin. Paul says, be careful. Don't you get the sense also, though, that Paul is establishing a principle? This is an application more than it is an interpretation of this verse. You know what it, what I'm talking about, right? And I don't think I've done this in a while, so let me, let me share it. Every verse has a specific interpretation. And when I come to Scripture, I look at this and I say, okay, this is what this verse means. You may need to understand history. You may need to understand the circumstances of the issues that the people were facing. You need to know the writer's background, all kinds of things. This is what this verse means. Now, on the basis of this interpretation, I can go out here and make two or three applications. But if I'm making an application as if it's the interpretation, if I stand on one of these applications, then what am I going to do? I'm going to apply it out here in three or four ways, in ways that ought not to be applied. For instance, when two or three are gathered together, I am in the midst also. You know what that's talking about? What's What's the primary thing he's talking about? Church discipline. He's talking about church discipline. And he's talking about the authority of the leaders and the congregation as a whole to exercise church discipline on someone who has walked away and living in unrepentant sin. Now, could it be a legitimate application when two or three are together, I am in their midst also, that 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 comes for prayer? Yes, it could be. We'll make that an application. It's not the interpretation. But if you say that what this means, this verse means is that where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst also. Well, I think God could be in our foursome on Sunday morning. You know, let's go play some golf. And God's in the midst of us, right? Let's pray before, you know, each hole. Prayer of confession, most likely, you know, after, after each hole. So you can't handle the word loosely. It it is a, we can draw from this an application. And it's certainly supported in other parts of Scripture. That God wants the more spiritually minded to mentor those who are not at the same place spiritually. 
I mean, that's a good challenge for almost every one of us. Because unless you were saved last night after dinner, there's probably somebody that you can mentor. There's someone who needs your assistance in walking with Christ. You can share what you know about Scripture, about the ways the Holy Spirit helps us, which we know from Scripture. You can point people to the gospel over and over. Salvation is of God because He loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you. And those who follow Christ go to the cross, but by taking up your cross, you will live. That's the gospel. That's what, that is what you who are spiritual need to be saying to someone in this body. Let's stop right here. And don't get your hopes up. This is not the end of the message. It's just a time for a, a challenge. I want you to think, who would you consider to be a spiritual mentor in your life? I, I'm going to say that, you know, there's some people that I read who are spiritual mentors in my life. But is there someone in the body who is speaking into your life spiritually. I'm not opposed to outside mentoring, but God designed the church so that we engage the spiritual priority of life with our brothers and sisters in this church. I was telling the Grace Connection class this morning, Allison and I were reading in Philippians 1 the other day, and Paul starts off and he says, Paul, And Timothy, servants of the Lord. Interesting, when he's talking to the Corinthians or Galatians, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God, because the gospel was questioned in those places. Philippians, there are partners in the gospel with Paul. He talks about that over and over. We're partners in the gospel. He said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Philippi, along with the elders and deacons, To all the saints in Philippi, whether you gather by the river, you know, you go to this particular Bible study or what. No, he said, those of you who were in this structure that God has designed, the local church where there are elders and deacons who lead the congregation. God has designed this body. Now, look, get in your car and you can be, you can drive 250 miles before dinner, right when you leave here. We've got brothers and sisters everywhere. It's one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ. But if we're taking most of our spiritual nourishment for outside, from outside of this place, we're, we're missing something. I'm going to absolutely tell you, listen to uh, radios, radio and, and, and podcasts and and. and Read books and let other people guide you and go to Bible study fellowship. I'm I'm all for those things. But if all you do in your spiritual life is what you do here on Sunday morning, something's wrong with that. It's not the way it was designed. So who's mentoring you? Are you allowing anyone to help you? Would you pray about this? Part two of this challenge, who are you mentoring or helping to grow as Jesus' disciple? If the answer is no one, would you be willing to consider doing that? Not in an official capacity with with sign-up sheets, but, but as God gives you opportunity to speak into others' lives, would you commit to prayerfully do that? Most of us come from churches where, look, I want to I want to help I want to be involved in this program or that. Ministry is a better way of saying it, but there's a great ministry available to you. Find someone who needs you to pour into their lives, in his or her life, and and do it. Help them to grow in Christ. So you may be thinking, how does one go about making such connections if there is no sign-up sheet? Which is a good question. I would begin my answer by saying that it's much much easier to make these kinds of connections in home group. Now, if you've never attended a home group and you have no intention of doing so, please don't quit coming because you just can't stand to hear it one more time. Please, we want you here. We consider you a part of this body. I'm just saying, if you really want to apply what you're getting on Sunday morning, it, it happens easiest in home groups. And look, what's this point? The spiritual 
priority. God puts a, puts a premium on our spiritual development, and that cannot come in a vacuum. And it doesn't come best, even if you're reading the best people out there, without interacting with the brothers and sisters that God has called you to be with here at Grace. So, even though, please don't, like I say, quit coming because we say this so much. I want to continually remind you that the best way to mentor others and be mentored within the body is by connecting through home groups. But I don't have time. I get that. I feel nervous in group settings. I don't have anything in common with others. I can't promise you that you'll go to a home group and and all of those fears will be immediately put to rest at the very first. But, But it's like anything else. You have to give it time. You may feel uncomfortable. Um... And it's going to take some of your time. But again, it's the best way to put the gospel into action. As for time, we all have limited time. You know, when I was at TVR, we had maybe 10, 12 full-time staff members and then 30, 35 staff members. It's more now because the place is bigger. But you know who I mentored? The people who were the hungriest. If you come to me and say, you know, I'd really like for you to disciple me. I can't do it. I just can't. I don't have time. But God didn't expect me to do that with everybody. We are to build one another up. And home group is the best place for those connections to be made. But there is more. Another one of the true benefits of being in a home group is the way that God's love and care for us is seen in very tangible ways through the body of Christ. A few weeks ago, we heard a, a really powerful testimony of the way that our church body is taking care of a family long term as they've walked through extreme medical difficulties. If you didn't hear Chad Moody's testimony, let me encourage you to go online and, and listen to that, uh, where, they t- where he talked about Callie's ongoing problems and the, and, and the challenges for their family. Uh, that stemmed from a brain tumor that first presented herself when she was one year old. Chad's expression of gratitude for the way that our church family has provided meals and emotional support and child care and other types uh, of assistance was really heartening and and encouraging. But you know what? I want to challenge you. It's so easy. We, We talked about this yesterday in men's prayer breakfast. It's so easy when a when a when a uh, a a, um, a need is is long term, whether, whether there's a chronic illness or something that just won't go away, uh, Klaus I think said it becomes the new norm. It becomes the new norm, and that's true. And we just sort of move on to the crises. We know how to deal with the crisis. We don't know how to deal with something that's chronic that doesn't go away. Well, we're called to. So let me encourage you to, 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 to remember the Moody's and talk to them, uh, pray with them, encourage them. It's easy to forget how challenging life can be day in and day out. When you listen to David and Sarah Calvert tell about all the challenges they have with dealing with uh, Jesse's ostomy, you know, and the, and, the, and the changing of the bandages and how long it takes and and, and, and then they've got, you know, two children that are very young children, one toddler. And when I th- hear the word toddler, I think of taking something off the coffee table and smashing it, you know. I mean, it's just, you, it's very easy to just think, well, they'll get through this. And, and they will. The Lord will. But part of the way they'll get through it is when God <clears throat> causes his design to function the way He planned for it too. And we give them assistance, spiritual, emotional, material, physically. Verses 2 and 3, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, 
he deceives himself. This is stated in contrast to those next two verses where it says, look, you take care of your own mess, okay? Don't be a burden to other people. This almost seems like a contradiction. And if you're really, if you want to be incredibly shallow and say, see, the Bible contradicts itself, you can point to a place like this. Come on. Clearly, he's saying, this needs discernment. There are some burdens that are so heavy that they cannot be taken care of by one person. In verse 2, this burden is like, it's like a 90-pound weight or a 125-pound weight that you're called to carry day after day after day after day. And you just can't do it. Talk to Gary Pelton after the service. And Lisa, actually, they'll probably have to be ducking out. They're carrying an incredibly heavy burden financially, emotionally. Elderly parents are doing most of the work for them. Can you imagine what a strain that is on these guys as well as the parents? It's a, it's a huge burden that some people are called, called a bear and they can't do it by themselves. And that's what these are talking about. These, these two verses are talking about. Um, and so God has called us to come alongside of them. That's why it takes a body. While it's true that we, look, we can't choose when someone else's crisis Comes at a bad time for us, you know. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's just not good time for me. I'm sorry. I, I can't help you. We don't get to choose that. It may be equally true that we don't get to choose who will help us. Oh, I just feel comfortable with so-and-so helping me. God doesn't always meet our needs the way we think he will or the way he, we think he should. But if you're in the body, he has arranged for your needs to be met. I've taken care of that. But it involves care on both sides of the equation we have to be willing to help we have to be willing to be helped sometimes the needs aren't material in fact in the context of this passion passage uh, paul may be saying look someone may have a temptation to the flesh it's just too much for him to bear him or her to bear we don't like to think like that because we We're sort of Gnostic in our thinking that we elevate to this place where we never get there. Like I say, it doesn't get older. Easier when you get older. Paul is saying there there may be someone who struggles with a a tendency to gossip or or to to spend money foolishly or or to lust. And, And we're called to come alongside of them and say, let me help you with that. Boy, that's fun. You know, that's a real fun thing to say. Gosh, brother, sister, I really don't think you should be talking about other people like this. So if I call your name, I'd like to see you after the service. (laughs) I'm actually going to go stand in front of a mirror uh, and hope that you will help me. I'm not big on, on group accountability where you share the deepest temptations and weaknesses you have with the group. But if we can't get help from within the body... And be accountable to someone in the body. We're in trouble. We just are. That's why Paul warned the spiritual members not to judge. But to weep and plead with those who are living in unrepentant sin. And I say unrepentant because that's the pattern for church discipline. We all need someone in the body to whom and and of whom we are accountable. That didn't come out right. Let me just start over. We all need someone in the body to whom we are accountable for our walk with Christ. It is his law, after all, that we are to fulfill. So what exactly is the law of Christ? How do we fulfill the law of Christ? Well, it's mentioned in the middle of these verses. Back in Galatians 5, he talked about we've crucified the, the works of the flesh. In verse 14 of chapter 6, Paul says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom I am crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. Dying to self in this gospel that we live in 
being filled with the, with the fruit of the Spirit, living as those who have been redeemed from the curse of the law, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When the Holy Spirit is in charge of your life and he works through you to produce godly fruit, you will fulfill the law of Christ which is written on your hearts. Since the law of Christ is spiritual and not judicial, like the Old Testament law, you recognize that when God states you are not to murder, Jesus has told us that our attitude towards other people's counts as murder in God's eyes. When we hate people, that's the same as murder. And when you recognize that, you don't, you don't fulfill the law like a Pharisee. I ain't killed anybody. But you're a miserable human being, both to yourself and especially to those close to you. But nobody wants to be around you. Because you, you hate, you're easily offended. You're, the law of Christ... Moves us beyond that. What is your immediate thought when you see a homeless person? My daughter Autumn used to keep up, keep some fruit in her car all the time. She always gave somebody at least fruit. She usually gave money, you know, when she would come to a stop sign. Her father said, I ain't doing that. I know these guys. I know what they're all about. A couple of years ago at Trinity, uh, where Allison works for the high school, the upper school, they brought these four homeless guys in, and they talked to them about their lives, and, and then they kept pressing them and kept pressing them, and finally they admitted they weren't homeless at all, and some of them made pretty good money, like fifty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year, you know, and lived in really nice homes or nicer homes than you would expect a homeless person to live in. And so we get cynical, don't we? Um, it's difficult to know how to help those that we encounter who seem to be destitute. We're going to think that about that more carefully next week. Let me just say one place that we should not have to wonder too much about motives is within the family here at Grace. See, immediately after saying that the Galatians need to share the load for, for those whose burdens are too heavy to bear alone, he turns right around and says, make sure that you don't unnecessarily burden those around you. If you don't have a 125-pound rock on your back that you're trying to bear. If, you're, if your burden is, is the 15 to 25 pound backpack that everybody is called to bear, don't be putting it down saying, oh, it's too heavy. Somebody carried that for me. I can't do that. These verses call for careful discernment. What may be an acceptable load for you may be an unbearable burden for someone else. Maybe they're not, maybe they're just not up to it emotionally. Maybe they didn't have the same kind of training that you have. On the other hand, an unwillingness to bear one's load is a church discipline worthy offense, according to Second Thessalonians 3, where some were refusing to do honest work, saying that God will take care of me. Which meant, of course, others took care of them. What they needed was a spiritual rebuke, saying that God has ordained work. It's good to work. And it's good to, to carry your own weight. As the body of Christ, we're designed to know which is which. See, we're designed to know that when someone has cancer and they live with chronic pain, we need to come alongside of them. We need to be able to say, you know, let me just, let me just encourage you to, to, to put your shoulder to the plow. We're designed to know which is which. Once again, it would be an, wouldn't that be an awesome family to live in? Well, God has called us to that family. But you know what? Let me just ask you about the person who is in this section over here when you're somewhere in here. You don't know them, do you? You know where you know them? In home group. That's where it happens. 
You can't expect people to know you if you're not in home group. I'm not never coming back to that church. Well, I don't blame you. <laughs> well, how are you doing with all of that? How are you meeting the needs? Are you hovering? Or are you backed way off because that's the way you want it? Look, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Look, it, it's difficult to give and give and give. And sometimes it's difficult to receive help. But God has designed us to do this in community, covenant community. Next week, we're going to talk about how the gospel is lived out in ways that we give of our material resources. And you may be thinking, so, we spent one Sunday on setting the context, talking about two different points, and now we're going to spend the whole Sunday talking about money next week. Well, you'll have to admit that we spent a pretty good time on this today. This is a long one. But look again at this third point, a surprisingly strong call to give. These verses that are coming up, Are loaded. So please wait to hear the text expounded before you pass judgment. And while you're waiting, please pray this week that God will give you the, the grace to hear and receive His word and the courage to obey the gospel call to give and to give generously, even if you're mad as fire when you pray. That's enough. Speaking of giving and praying, let's pray just before we receive the benevolence offering. We do this every week. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in verse 10 of of Galatians 6. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In the home group this week, you're going to be encouraged to pray for the deacons who have to administrate the... um, the calls for assistance both from within the body and outside the body. And there's a lot of discernment. Uh, but So the deacons will come and take the offering in just a moment. And as they walk by, you pray for them. They have a, they have a very challenging job when it comes to making discernment on all of the or discerning all of these issues that they have to. All right, let's pray. Well, Father... Um, We acknowledge that we fall short in every single thing that we've talked about today. Lord, um, we are a fallen people and a weak people, and we are also saints who have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And the Spirit and the flesh war against each other, and sometimes we we get it right, sometimes we, we get it wrong. And it's essentially, do we believe the gospel or do we not? And as we believe, then we're transformed. Change our hearts and minds as we spend time in the word, as we encourage and as we challenge and admonish one another to fulfill the law of Christ. And as we do so, Lord, may we do so fully based on what you have done for us. We're so grateful. Jesus, that you didn't stop, that you didn't back down, even when the horror of what awaited you caused you to ask permission to avoid the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Jesus said. May the life of Jesus flow through us as the gospel moves to action. In Jesus' name, amen. A little later in the same chapter we've been in this morning, Paul takes the pen from his scribe and says, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Get in a home group. No, I'm sorry. 
remembering incorrectly there. Forgot to scroll up. I kind of expected to see that next. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 14. In talking about, you know, what these Judaizers were trying to persuade the Galatian believers. And, and, and let's not forget, the Judaizers, as Brad pointed out, said Jesus is good as well. I mean, perhaps they were believing and struggling themselves and, and still trying to figure this thing out. You know, what is, what is our duty? What is right? You know, and they strayed. In their, in their thoughts. That's why it's so important to get that interpretation right that Brad was talking about. Paul helps us here. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Isn't that what we want to see in ourselves and in, in, in each other? That we truly have been transformed. And then he finishes, and I learned this week that... Um, Worship coming out of the um, traditions of of, Ju- of Judaism was, you know, in, engaged all of the senses. And whenever you see this at the benediction, it represents what used to happen. They'd go around and touch each person. But as congregations grew, and that became kind of uh, impossible. I mean, it's possible if you you'd like we could stand around and do that but but I won't take your time any, any longer but this touch represented God's blessing it represents God's healing so go with this benediction may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle this principle of Christ they are the new people of God the new believers, the Gentiles, and God's Israel. Go in peace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.